Hi, and welcome to Getting Biblical, the show where I drink too much and talk about my favorite Bible stories. I am Matt Smith, your host, and thank you for joining us today. Okay, so this is going to be a huge episode. I'm going to do my best to get through it all without derailing too much or going on a rabbit trail. You know how your boy has some issues with that, so please pray for me. <laughs> Anyways, the first thing I want to talk about, I have three three main things. One in the intro, one in the alcohol portion. Of course, the story itself is amazing. So three big things I want to talk about. So this first one here in the intro, up until now, we've just kind of bounced around and shared a few of my favorite random stories from different parts of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, etc., etc., but starting with this episode, we're going to shake things up a bit. And by shake things up, I mean we're going to get a lot more neat and organized and structured, which is the exact opposite of shaking things up, I know. But <laughs> we've decided to move to a more episodic formula for the show, at least for a while. The plan is to start with Genesis and go up from there. We're doing this for two reasons. One is that it's better for storytelling to lay a proper foundation so you can understand how it all fits together. So when I do different episodes like I have in the past where I'm just bouncing around and I'm having to give you a, here's where we find the Israelites right now, you know, to set the stage. While that's all fine and good, and I'm going to, I will still do that in the future, it's better for you to have a fuller understanding of what all that means and how it all ties together, right? It just it adds more weight to the stories. So that's the like the first kind of reason for it all. And, and the second reason that we're doing this is, quite honestly, is it just makes it easier for me to go along in chronological order than to pick random stories week to week. Uh, I'm not thinking of not transparent. I, I just try to make it easy for myself. <laughs> but it, it's, it's for a good reason. And a third reason, well... More like a convenient uh, coincidence than a reason, but we're actually loosely timing this episode to coincide with a Jewish holiday known as Simchat Torah. Now, if you've never heard of Simchat Torah, it wouldn't surprise me. It's not quite as popular as, say, Yom Kippur or Passover. I don't think kids in New York get a day off from school or anything, but despite all that, it's, it's a great, fantastic holiday. So you know how the Bible has a New Testament and an Old Testament? Well, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they make up what we call the Torah, which is maybe a thing that you've heard before. It's the story of creation all the way through to really getting the ball rolling on the whole Israelites, you know, the Hebrew thing. And really, there's so much more depth here that I'm just... I'm. I'm just rolling over. There's so much here religiously, culturally, historically. There's, there's a lot here in, in this term, the Torah laws and everything that, go, that goes with it. And I, I do actually feel bad about oversimplifying it. There's so much more to go into, but I'm also not wrong in, in what I said. I mean, it, is, it is the first five books. That is a definition of the Torah. So uh, I'm not wrong. We're going we're gonna to stick to it. But anyway the importance of these five books so because of the importance of these five books it's jewish custom to make sure that we read them through once a year so naturally the efficient way to do that is to divide them up so that a little bit can be read you know once a week or so little smaller portions bite-sized chunks <laughs> you know and so that you can do it over a year's time 
with select passages being assigned per week, which are called Torah portions. Like if you've ever seen a bat or bar mitzvah, like on TV or in a movie, and you've seen the kid read through the big Torah scroll and read out the Hebrew, whatever, that's not just a random passage. That's generally that kid's Torah portion, the weekly Torah portion for the week that they were born, right? Wherever their birth date lies on, you know, and that's the that week's portion, and that's what they're reading. And it's their kind of Hebrew Torah portion astrological sign kind of that's you're gonna get offended by that that's that's a gross that that doesn't connect at all but it it it's theirs right it's their Torah portion forever and they, they will always remember it and it's it's a really neat thing so anyway at the end of the year when we finish up in Deuteronomy with the very last passage and then we're getting ready to start over in Genesis with the first ever passage that's when we have this holiday Simchat Torah and it's a celebration of the finishing up the year-long Torah reading journey and starting over in Genesis. And it's a big party, and, and synagogues will bring out their big, super expensive, handwritten in Hebrew Torah scroll and march it around the room and Congo line style. And they're singing and there's dancing and it's and drinking and eating. And, and it's just a really joyful time to celebrate what is essentially the backbone of the whole belief system, right? It's super cool. Anyway, so my goal for the show was to connect with that that day, that holiday. And we're a little bit past due. That happened about a week and a half ago, so I'm a little behind the ball, but that was what the what inspired a little bit this idea to to start over and start going week by week linear throughout the stories. We're going to be loosely following these Torah portions every week. And we're going to try to stick pretty close to them. I'll, I'll pull out the best parts of the stories from each week and, and talk about them here on the show. And some weeks are, to be honest, a little bit boring. They're like just three chapters of lineages of so-and-so had a son. What's his name? And what's his name? Had a son named Billy or whatever. And, and those are kind of boring and they're not super fun to talk about. So we'll have filler episodes here and there for those weeks. And, and then spoiler alert, I've got a Halloween episode coming up and a Christmas episode that I'm working on. We've got, we've got other stuff. So don't think for a second that you're going to be bored other than more bored than what I've just been talking about all this stuff. But we have a lot planned and I'm super excited about it. So with that being said, let's talk about alcohol. So I was doing some research online about what booze I wanted to delve into for the show. And I stumbled across some stuff on YouTube that blew everything that I thought I knew about whiskey out of the water. So there's this new trend going around for whiskey fans where they've taken it upon themselves to create what they're calling infinity bottles. And it's an idea where you combine all your older, almost empty bottles, uh, like whiskey leftovers, if you will, to combine those those remnants together to create your own uh, whiskey Voltron, uh, whiskey Megazord, or whatever you want to call it, you know, but put them all together to create your own unique blend of whiskeys. Some people are, are going out and they're trying to actually put real thought into the whole thing and make a true blend, you know, choose things that go together for real, right? You know, that, that makes sense. But other people are just using it as a way to combine their old bottles to create something new. 
So when you have a bottle, and imagine a bottle that has that's almost empty, and you've got so much more air in the bottle than there is liquid, because of all that air, the oxidization of the liquid, of the whiskey, is going to happen so much more quickly. When you have an unsealed full bottle, it can last pretty much forever, and then as you drink it, and there's more, there's more air in it, the let's say the half-life of it starts to deteriorate and it's going to lose its its flavor and its taste and its profile so much more quicker the more air that's in the bottle. So if you've got the last little bit, you know, two glasses worth of your favorite bottle and you're trying to save it for your brand new infant's 21st birthday in the future, probably not going to work out so well. Like it's not going to be super great 21 years from now if you only have that much left because you have too much air in the bottle. So that's part of where this came about, is like, oh, let's take these bottles that are almost empty, pour them together, thus you have a new bottle that has less air in it, less oxidation, and also creates a new flavor thing that you have never had before. So those are all the, those are all the things that, that come into this idea of having this thing called an infinity bottle. Now, I don't quite know why you wouldn't just drink the bottles and be done with it. That's usually what I do, but whatever. We're not going down that road. But anyways, so in my more pretentious days, I would have thought this absolutely absurd because what I thought that I knew about whiskey, and especially scotches, is that single malts were the end-all, be-all of the, of the scotch world, right? Blends are the cheap bottom-shelf line that are good only for mixing or for poor college students, bullshit ideas like that. So that's what I thought I knew, right? That's what, that's what I thought I knew. And like the Agent K quote to Will Smith in the first Men in Black movie, I, I really do love me some, some of those quotes in those movies. I need to watch it again. But he goes, just after, after Will Smith's character got hip to what the MIB were all about, Agent K goes, 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that humans were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. And that's exactly how I feel about about Scotch at this moment. And that's my I've I've been better. I've been growing and, and maturing and and learning and and being less pretentious than I was in my earlier days. But there's they still like had roots right in in my brain so hearing this was just preposterous just ridiculous like why would you do that but the more i thought about it the more i really fell in love with the idea so i had an old uh, 1.75 liter uh, glenn morangi bottle laying around and which it's a fantastic bottle because it's really just the size of of a handle of thing or you know it's not it's not oversized but it's the way they designed the bottle. It's super tall, and it just look it's it just head and shoulders above everything else on my bar. It looks like an oversized promotional bottle. I've had girls come over and, and seen it on my bar, and they're like, oh, like why is it so big? And like it's it's just a regular bottle. You can buy it in a lot of stores. It's not a big deal, but it looks impressive, right? So, I ordered a custom label off someone on Etsy. 
and and I put I had them put on there. It looks like a whiskey bottle, but it says "Getting Biblical Podcast Infinity Bottle," and it's got you know the name on there, and it's it's super cool. You should definitely check out the Instagram. I'll put up a picture on there. I'm actually pretty in love with it. I'm, I'm pretty proud of it, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. So, anyways, uh, in case I skipped over it. You call it an infinity bottle because once you get it full, you're not supposed to take a drink out of it unless you're replacing that volume of whiskey with something else, right? So you take a drink out, you put some back. That's that's the whole process. That way, you'll never run out. It's infinite, right? It stays around. So as of today, I'm starting that tradition, and my goal will be that for every show that I do, I, when I'm drinking a whiskey family beverage, not I'm not stupid, not beer or wine or whatever, but a whiskey family. For every show, as I'm drinking the, a whiskey product, I'll pour some of that episode's beverage into the Infinity Bottle. And then a year from now, we'll have a year's worth of shows and a really neat, unique... This, and then we'll have this unique Infinity Bottle of that just represents everything that we did on the show and all coming together and more than more than likely a year from now we'll take a sip of the infinity bottle and just realize that it's absolute trash and has no business being in existence whatsoever much like this show <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't deserve to live but it will it'll be apropos for for what it all is about so anyway that's the project that we're working on i'm super excited about it and looking forward to seeing where we go from here so to start the process, since I don't really have many bottles that are almost empty, I tend to drink them, I, it actually kind of boggles my mind that people let that happen, but whatever. But since I don't have any almost finished ones, I, I'm going to have to start fresh. So to create the base for the Infinity Bottle, I decided that I needed to start off with something kind of tame, something mild to, to set the foundation for it. So I went with, and it, it felt apropos, I went with Ireland's oldest licensed distillery, going back all the way to 1608, Bushmills Irish Whiskey. Now, Bushmills has several different lines in their brand, but I'm going with just their normal run-of-the-mill, I think they call it original, right? It's their smooth, it's budgety, you know, it's a $20 price range, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's some other versions that are fantastic, and I absolutely recommend them, but this one's you know i wanted this one for the base this one isn't overpowering like compared to like you know the the pd scotches the lagavulins and the art bags of the world this is very mild and very easy to drink i actually really recommend it if you're not well versed in the world of whiskeys and especially scotches and things and you kind of want to tiptoe your foot into it this is a great one to get started on it's easy to, it's easy to drink straight you know throw some rocks on there it's it goes down super smooth and easy or mix it in some cocktails whatever you want it's very versatile it's a really great just basic you know you're not going to get a lot of like pow out of it you know there's not a, like a lot of like oh like you can taste all the thing like like the, you know it's good it's just it's just like solid you know does that does that make sense good lord it's been around 400 years so there's they're clearly doing something right so anyway that's what i chose to be the backbone for this for my infinity bottle for the show here and it's just eh, it's a neat project and I'm, I'm excited i was excited to talk about it and share with you guys on the show and i think it's going to be magnificent Anyway, on to the Bible stories. 
So here we are in the, in the beginning, Genesis chapter one. Now, before I, before I start, one last thing, just a little mention. So there, there is a ton. There is so freaking much to talk about in these early verses. There's so much depth. Like, I'm going to do my best to stick to the stories themselves. But it's very difficult because especially here in the beginning of it all, there are some fantastic in-depth theories. I mean, like, like to rival the fan theories we have for Marvel movies and Star Wars and Harry Potter. We could get on that level of dissecting word by word and just going into it and creating theories and understanding what's going on. Like it's super interesting. Maybe we'll do episodes in the future. We'll do some biblical studies or biblical theory. That's just a theory, a biblical theory. That's, that's taken, but uh, you know, whatever we might, we might do that in the future, but I'm going to try to be good and, and stick to just the stories from here, but no promise, no promises. Cause there's so much, there's too much not to Genesis chapter one, verse one in the beginning. So it says that in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. There was nothing anywhere. And it says God's spirit was floating around everywhere, all the emptiness and said, I guess he got tired of it all and said, let there be light. And there was light. And from that moment, there was evening and then there was morning the first day. And on the second day, we aren't quite sure what's happening here, but God felt the need to separate all the water that was just floating around everywhere, all over the place. And he made an atmosphere for the earth. He separated the waters, is what it says. He collected the waters above and the and the waters below, right? Made a, a separation there. And on the third day, he pulled together the waters that he put on the earth and, and pulled them together to make the oceans. And then we had dry land that formed. And, and on that dry land, he created all the grass and the trees and the plants and everything that covered the world. So all the vegetation and on the fourth day, he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the rest of the universe, the expanse of it all. And on the fifth day, he created fish and birds. Very specifically, just those two things, but fish and birds and all the, all the fish in the sea and all the birds in the air. And, and, he, and he gave them marching orders. He told them to go forth and multiply and fill the oceans and fill the air and populate the earth with more fish and, and birds. And on the sixth day, God created living creatures of the land, the cattle and the beasts and the critters and the dogs and the cats and everything, everything that roams the land, everything that breathes air and walks on legs, created that on day six. But it wasn't just that. He wasn't done. He also then said, and I quote, let us create man in our own image, end quote. I'm not quite sure he was talking to at that point, but <laughs> but he said, let us create man our own image. And he created both male and female. So he created all the land creatures, all the land animals and the people, humankind, mankind, created all that on the sixth day. And he looked over everything he had created over the past six days, the seas and the land and the fish and the birds and the animals of mankind, and was like super proud of himself and decided to take the next day off so <laughs> the seventh day was a rest day where he didn't he didn't do anything on that day uh, so then that delves into how exactly he formed man 
And so it says, and this is important, he formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him, and he became a living being. And he created a garden that had every type of plant in it and called it Eden. But in the garden, he also placed two trees. One of the trees was called the tree of life, and also another tree, much more ominously named the tree of good and evil. And he put the man that he had just made in the garden and told him he could eat from any tree in the garden. Anything he wanted to eat was fine. Everything was okay, except for the tree of good and evil. Can't, that's off limits. You can't eat from that tree. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Those are the rules. Also, by the way, your name is Adam, is what he told him, and said, uh, also, I'm going to need you to get to work. I just created everything, and I need you to give them names. <laughs> he, he literally just, like, he created man and said, by the way, welcome to existence. Uh, get to work. I have a job for you to do. So, maybe not as rude as all that. He actually... It says that God wanted Adam to have someone to work with him, and he paraded all the animals by Adam so that Adam could choose one that he wanted to be his his partner, his soulmate or whatever. So Adam just spent the next, I don't even know, days or weeks or months or however long it took naming all the animals. Now, now poor Adam, like he he had just come into existence like five minutes ago, and it just learned how to talk three and a half minutes ago. And God's already like, go ahead, use your new linguistic skills to name all the animals. Which is why I think we have some really baseline animal names. Like, like at the beginning, like he's just, he's just trying to put words together. He's just like, well, that's going to be a, what was your name again, God? Okay, let's, let's reverse that. You're going to be a dog? You seem pretty cool. They just start mixing it up like, how about cow, cat, rat, bat, right? And you just keep, probably just kept on going down that road. But then like two weeks of naming all the animals on earth, of him just getting bored of it, or just like trying to get creative, he's like, huh, how about giraffe? That's a pretty cool, Dave. I like that. You're a giraffe. Or he's like, hey, God, listen to this one. This is going to be great. See this big fat thing over here? I got the perfect name for it. Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. Boom. Nailed it. I, I just, that's how I see it going down. But anyway, so he names all the animals and looks through all of them. And he doesn't really find any that he thinks are all that great to be a companion. Like, the dog's pretty cool, right? Like, he's nice. The cat seems kind of like a dick. Like, like nice to have around, but would eat you if you ever died. But he's like, I, I don't really, I don't really see one that I really want to make my soulmate, you know, my forever companion. And so God says, Yeah, you're right. They don't, they won't work. So God makes Adam fall into a deep sleep, and then opens him up and takes out one of his ribs, and then heals him back up, and uses the rib to make the first woman. And then when Adam wakes up and sees a woman standing before him, he gets super psyched and he's like, yes, this is what I was looking for. This is what I want. And he's, he's excited and everything's going great. And, and it says they were both naked and not ashamed, which, which pretty much just means they were pure and, and maybe a little bit naive, but they weren't, they weren't dirty minded, right? So it just, it wasn't, they were naked. It wasn't a big deal. Whatever. No big deal. <laughs> and now it says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Also, it could, also it could talk. 
no big deal, right? But so many, so many questions, but it's fine. Did all animals talk? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so the serpent one day rolls up to Eve and says, and do you remember what I said earlier about the whole like trees and everything? So the serpent rolls up to Eve and is like, hey girl. So the serpent rolls up to Eve and is like, hey girl, did God really say that you weren't allowed to eat from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve is like, uh, no, where did you hear that from? God said we could eat from any tree that we wanted. Like, like anything, any of them, all of them. You are way, you are way off on this. We just can't eat from the tree of good and evil. We can't even touch that one or we will die. But everything else is fine. And the serpent goes, you won't die. This whole planet has only existed for like a week now. Nothing has ever died yet. You won't die. God is just trying to scare you away from eating that tree because he knows if you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll know the difference between good and evil and you'll be as smart as him. He's lying to you. So Eve looks at the tree and she looks at the fruit and she thinks to herself, it does look pretty tasty. Plus, I really would like to be smarter. So she takes the fruit and she eats it. And then she gives it to Adam and he eats it. And it says both their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. They were a little upset by that fact. And they, <laughs> and they, they, they sewed fig leaves together to make some clothes. Right? Then they heard God walking through the garden. Apparently that's a thing that he did back then. And they hid from God. So God's walking around the garden and is like, I wonder where are those two people that I just made are. I'd really like to hang out with them. Where are you guys? <laughs> like, I'm, he's God. I'm sure he knew where they were. Like, like he's not, he knows what's happening, but he's just playing coy for whatever reason. So, I mean, it's the, it's the universe's first game of Marco Polo. It's like, he's like, humans, and they're like, God, humans, God, and like, they finally find each other. But anyway, <laughs> So God said, you know, it's like, where are you guys? And so Adam says, we're hiding. We were naked and we didn't want you to see us. And God says, who told you you were naked? Wait, wait, where did that come from? You didn't know you were naked a day ago. Adam, did you eat from that tree I specifically told you not to? And Adam's response, Adam was such a douchebag. He says, well, uh, this woman that you gave me, she made me eat it, like, under the bus. Not just Eve. He didn't just throw her under the bus, but he also threw God under the bus in one sentence. Like, like you gave me this woman, and she made, like, like what a douchey. Like, man up, Adam. Be better. <laughs> makes me mad. But, and, but God, like, just kind of looks over at Eve, and he's like, uh, well, did you? <laughs> like, like, what's the story here? And then, of course, she says... The serpent deceived me. He made me do it. Right? They're just passing the blame all around. So then God like shakes his head and probably does one of those little sighs when where you where you pinch kind of the middle part of your nose in between your eyes. And I'm just he's just probably looking down and like oh, I'm getting a migraine. But okay, he's like, well, there's I told you not to do it. There's got to be some punishment. So here we go. So he starts off and he puts a curse on the serpent. He curses the serpent above all the animals. And he declared that the serpent would crawl on its belly forever. Like, I don't know if that's when it had legs before. And, like, now it lost its legs. And that's where we get snakes from that slither. I don't know. 
But then he, he keeps on going and he curses the serpent and says that, that, that they and the woman and the woman's future children would hate each other forever and ever. Which I guess is why women don't like snakes nowadays. And then God has to turn to the woman and he curses her. He curses Eve and says, from this day on, whenever you give birth, it's going to hurt like a lot. <laughs> I don't understand how that is punishment that fits the crime but that's what he cursed her with and then he curses adam because like by the way so when when eve is getting let's say what they call it tempted by the snake when the snake's like you won't die you should definitely eat the fruit and then it says she takes it and eats it and then gives it to adam there's no indication that she ran across the garden of eden to give it to him like he was probably right there like he that guy did not stop her or say anything she just did it and hands it to him and he's like oh okay oh sounds good to me like he's an he's an idiot and Anyway, so he deserves to get cursed too. Like he was not blameless and whatever. So, but but God curses Adam and he says also that the ground itself is now cursed, right? The curse isn't just on Adam, but it bleeds over to everything. And because of Adam, things will not be easy anymore. Now plants will have thorns and thistles. Stuff won't grow freely and magically anymore. And he says also... From the dust of the earth I made you, so to the dust you shall return. Pretty much meaning that before this moment they were immortal. And this is when death became a thing, right? This is what happened. Then it says that God took some animal skins and made clothes for Adam and Eve so they wouldn't be naked anymore. And then it says, I don't know, I don't know exactly who he's talking to, but God says, man has become like us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to also take from the tree of life. For if he eats that, he will live forever. So apparently, that tree of life that we talked about earlier is like an immortality tree in the Garden of Eden. And he was allowed to eat from it the whole time until he ate from the other, the tree of good and evil. And when he ate from that, then God's like, Ixnay, he cannot have the immortality tree anymore because that's going to create some problems. It's okay if he knows the difference between good and evil as long as he ends up dying, but he can't have both parts of immortality and knowing good and evil. Crazy stuff. Like, just, oh my god. Like, what the heck is going on? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Because God did not want Adam to eat from the tree of life and gain immortality, because he didn't want that to happen so badly, he puts a bouncer angel in front of the gate to the garden of eden and next to the angel not in the angel's hand but next to the angel he puts a floating flying sword that is on fire a flaming sword that floats and rotates 360 degrees and can like track your movement as you try to sneak in or try to walk into the garden of eden like you are not getting even if the bouncer is asleep you are not getting in because this sword is ready to cut you with fire sword mechanics no matter what direction you come from it it's like super badass i i feel like i've seen it in a video game at some point but it just yeah a floating fire sword that tracks your movement like, he would, did not want anyone getting in there and eating the immortality tree. It's amazing. So, 
anyway, so now they get they get banished from the Garden of, of Eden. Now they have to live out in the wilderness. Now they have these new clothes that are made from animal skins, and and trees aren't just growing easily. He's got to plant stuff and make crops and do stuff, and it's it's just a it's just a mess. And they have they have start having children and start populating the earth, and we're gonna get into all that in a little bit. But that's the story of the creation of the universe, the creation of man, and also the fall of man all together. It's pretty pretty quick, but now I would I would I I was pretty good about not delving into too much stuff. But one thing I want to bring up, just if we want to talk about Bible theory for just a minute or Bible philosophy. And you can agree or not or disagree, whatever. This isn't technically in there. It's just my pulling stuff together. So if you remember in the past and some of our other stories, we've talked about where people do animal sacrifices in order to talk to or please God, right? And in 2018, hearing stories of, of cutting up animals just to burn them up and make sacrifices. The word sacrifice is loaded. I mean, you know, like it sounds barbaric, right? It sounds horrible. And I'm not here to talk about yay or nay or whatever, that type of thing. But we have here an example. I think it's, I think it's, it's good to talk about where we have the first example of a sacrifice in the Bible. So Adam and Eve went against what God wanted them to do, aka sin, right? They sinned against God. They realized that they were naked and they need to close. And in order for God to help cover up their nakedness, right, cover up their sin, God had to make them animal clothes, animal skins, right? I mean, he could have just been God and snapped his fingers and made some animal pelts out of nowhere and like whatever. I guess that would have been fine. I don't think that's what happened. I think that I think that that animals died, and if you can, so imagine, just imagine. I'm getting trying to get a little like maybe a little poignant, a little a little a little deep here. But imagine this: imagine Adam and Eve, like like you've sinned, you did what God told you not to do. The one thing He told you not to do, and you did it. You had one job. You had one job, Adam and Eve. It's just don't eat that fruit, and you did it. And he's like, all right, well now you know. Now there has to be consequences. And so then he goes out and he takes animals that maybe possibly talked. We're not quite sure, right? People that they knew, like not just animals, not just, you know, like like animals that they might have been friends with. I don't know. And then God had to kill them to make clothes for them to help cover them up because they were naked from the thing that they did wrong. And like what, like... That's what a lot of the sacrifices that you see going on throughout the rest of the Bible are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be covering up the sins, the when when people aren't doing what God wants them to do. And so that's where the tie-in comes a lot of ways and it's supposed to feel make you feel guilty. So much less than than buying meat at a grocery store and coming home and cook it where you have no connection. Like sacrificing an animal, if that's what you're doing in Bible times, should, like, can you imagine? Like that, like when you're cutting open an animal, killing an, am- an animal, whether, you know, regardless if it's talking or not, just killing an animal and because you did something bad, like the amount of guilt that I think that you should feel for that is ridiculous. And, and, <laughs> As we all know, Jewish guilt, like if you've ever had a Jewish mother, you know all about that. But I think that's where it comes into play and why they get into it. So 
I'm not saying it's not a little bit creepy and not weird to hear it being talked about so nonchalantly in these stories. I, I, in my heart, I feel like they're not actually, they weren't supposed to be nonchalant to begin with, if that makes any sense. And it all starts from this one. So anyway, thanks for letting me kind of go on that little rabbit trail. That's kind of how I feel about this. And maybe it will shine some light on other times when they talk about sacrifices in the Bible. Anyways, so that's that's this episode, this, the story of the creation of the universe, the beginning of mankind, and then, of course, the fall of mankind. Thanks for listening. Check us out next time. We're going to talk about the story of Noah, Noah's Ark, and everything that they don't want you to know about that story. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you have a fantastic day. As always, I am Matt Smith. This was Getting Biblical. Cheers.